Hello guys and welcome back to another edition of Chobo Football Podcast. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Mark Kinyanjui. Um, people have been quite busy here and there, me included, but um, it's always an honor to record an episode on this platform. Um, John Mark again is held once more, so I'll be the host again. And of course, I am not alone. I am joined by someone who hasn't been on this platform in a long time. Uh, she's a diehard Man United fan. And, you know, things haven't been looking rosy for Man United, of course, in, in recent times. Uh, but sacking their manager was maybe one way to solve a very big issue that runs deeper than just solving the manager. So um, she is here with us today. Um, so I'm going to allow you uh, to tell us how you've been and why you've disappeared away from this platform for a long time. So hi, Karen. Um, okay, hi guys, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, I haven't been here for some time. Um, yeah, uh, school obviously, and yeah, my phone was stolen a couple of months ago, so it's been tough. Yeah, but I'm here now, and unfortunately, I'm coming back under the worst circumstances for my club, which is Santa Piki. Yeah, but I think things will improve from here on out. Yeah, definitely. And I actually forgot to ask you what your moment of the weekend is. What was that, rather? Um, I would honestly just say being beaten by four one. Ah, uh, being beaten by what was four one? Like that was not. I never thought it get that bad, and I think that was quite special. I think that will yeah. be remembered. It will be remembered for many days to come, many months yeah. years to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's the moment of the weekend for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think losing to Watford, um, given the terrible run that your club had been on, um, was just unforgivable. And, you know, to rub salt into the wound, your ex-goalkeeper, Ben Foster, the sighting goalkeeper, the YouTuber, part-time YouTuber actually gave an assist for the fourth goal, which was, you know, just unforgivable. But we are going to be discussing... um, the club in detail today. Um, we all know that Oleguna Solskja was sacked uh, on the back of um, overseeing possibly what has been one of the worst runs the club has ever seen. Um, remember, things were looking rosy for you guys um, over the summer when you signed players like Rafael Varane, um, the Chiron Sancho, who you guys sought after for so long, um, finally came to the club. And, you know, Ronaldo was on his way to Manchester City until they decided to pull the plug for some reason. And you decided to bring him back to the club. So there was a a very high wave of optimism. And that was carried into the game against Newcastle, where you guys um, totally ran the show that that day. Uh, You beat them by four goals to one. And then um, the terrible run really started the very next game when you guys faced young boys, I think it was, where you only recorded like two shots all game. Uh, when Bissaka got sent off and you had to persist to 10 men and then uh, you lost by two goals to one. But people assumed that was just a one-off, a one-off result because sometimes these these results happen where the underdog can just shock you. And then out of nowhere, um, I think you went on some sort of run. And then when your fixtures really became um kind of rocky, that's when uh you guys started you know, um, crawling back into your old predictable selves, like at the start of last season when you lost 6-1 to Spurs and all that. And uh, the board actually decided to give him time. And that's why they decided not to sack him in uh, towards the 
the recently concluded international break, but then afterwards losing 4-1 to Manchester to Watford, where the players clearly just didn't turn up on the day. They blatantly down tools, it's like they'd literally given up on him, really hit the final nail on the coffin. So I'd like to give you to give us your opinion about the whole situation. You can even dig deeper than just on pitch matters, but also off the pitch matters as well, uh, before I give my opinion on the situation. Um, okay, so, yeah, um, as you said, you've been here before, like, I remember I was on the podcast last season after we lost this one, and I was really mad, so it's starting to feel like familiar territory, which is quite sad, honestly, but um, what I think, very honestly, like, Ole was the immediate problem at the club, but yeah. the fan is going to be really shocked when when we get a new manager or whatever yeah. and not much changes because yeah. right now what we're looking at in the premier league we're not looking at um a very even league in which you can yeah. you can you can you can suddenly find yourself winning a title yeah. we're looking at the three best managers in the world yeah. competing mm. for the same trophy yeah and like they've repeatedly shown this season that they are levels above the rest. yeah so i think that First of all, United's decision to give Ole the job three years ago was, it was just a very bad decision. It was not thought out, it was very sporadic, it was just go with the flow. And now it's coming to haunt us because many of these managers who we are seeing and succeeding right now, they were there for the taking for Manu at some point. Everyone knows that the Manu job, the Manu manager job is a coveted spot. So I think that this problem of, of ours, it runs much, much deeper than Oli. Oli was the immediate problem, yeah. but all is not well now that he's gone. And we actually saw that last night in the past about 70, 60 minutes of mm. our game. Yeah. So as much as I'm excited for possibly Paul or Ten Hag or who come, I'm much more devout because I think even if we get a good manager, it's going to be very hard to compete with our structure, with our transfer, our transfer, the way we handle our transfers, the way we handle our injuries, just mm-hmm. everything around the club. Yeah. I think it's because if you see a team like Man City just sporting Cancelo in some league, yeah. just somewhere, when right? mm-hmm. he's not shining and dying him, and then now you see what he does. Yeah. Whereas Man United go for the most obvious choices and end up overpaying. Yeah and not getting the value for their players, I didn't know we were going to compete by the way. It's yeah. just the plain truth. So I genuinely think for this season I think it's a write off. I don't think there's anything we can do from here on out. Yeah. I genuinely think Topo would be a miracle considering we're not even getting we're not we're considering getting an interesting. Yeah. And I think some some teams such as Leicester okay not Leicester, um Arsenal, West Ham, West, West Ham, Ham, like so many more teams look much, much better than us. For that spot, spot, so I don't think it's 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 going to be so. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, recent reports have really been hitting up about uh spot, and I'm really excited for that. Not so much for the for getting a spot in the title race, but actually getting a system in which we can get the best out of our already talented squad. I'm really excited yeah. for that because mm-hmm. I think that we have really been playing. Minus on like with 10 9 men a game mm-hmm. with players like Maguire, Shaw, McTominay on the pitch, it's just not looking good in yeah. every sector. But mm-hmm. what I think 
is that we got an immediate problem out. So yeah. what I think do you, feel like, do you feel like um shortly before you, you go on, um do you agree with Paul's core sentiments where he was actually saying because I personally agree with what you were saying, where um it doesn't make sense why you'd you'd suck the manager and not suck his coaching staff as well. Because at the end of the day, um Kieran McKenna and Michael Garrick were the ones being um asked to, you know, they were they were given a lot, they were handed a lot of responsibility by Ole himself. They were the ones who were actually running the training sessions, you know, um before match days. And the fact that they 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 decided to get rid of Ole but didn't get rid of his coaching staff is basically, you know, feeding these players the same same ideas, only only the fact that the main one who calls the shot isn't there anymore. So um do you agree with his sentiments when he was saying that if I was a staff member of all and being get sucked, I'd be embarrassed for myself. Yeah, I fully agree with the with what he said, but I don't I don't agree that like it's the exact same same uh, thing as only being here and only not being here. Because yeah. one thing, um, we actually saw it last night. One thing with only that you can fault him if he's favorably like yeah, if, even if he makes if he makes a mistake, he will stick by it. Yeah, I don't know what the what's and if he has an ego complex or what, but like if you look at a player like Van de Beek, Van de Beek, even the few minutes that he has played, he has shown much more technical ability than any other midfielder. Yeah. The, in the midfielder he's competing with, which yeah. is like Fred Mastroini and Although you can say yes, Van de Beek can he can displace Bruno number ten, he can displace Pogba in number eight to six. He can yeah. play DM. But if you see a player consistently playing Max Fred, and seeing the defensive horror show that they put on each and every week and still yeah. not giving the clearly talented players chance, you can see that there's um there's a power struggle somewhere. Yeah. So the fact that he has left, mm-hmm. I think it also gives some players a chance yeah. to actually break into the team and make something different. As much mm-hmm. as the tactic the the tactical um situation will not change, yeah. I think um Maybe the general team spirit might change and some players might actually be given a chance. Yeah. Although that doesn't count for much, considering the talent and the ability of our squad, yeah. I wouldn't say that it, it is nothing. It's something, but yeah, if the, the coaching team doesn't go, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, we wouldn't really see much change. Yeah. Um, me personally, um, when I look at, at your situation, at Manchester United situation, and also Arsenal situation as a whole, because let's face it, our clubs are owned by American owners who don't really, who aren't really invested into football at large. You know, they have, um, they don't really know much about football considering the culture that they come from. And from my point of view, um, I think the biggest problem both our clubs face, face as, a, as a whole is the fact that, first of all, both our clubs were run by managers who controlled every single fabric of the club for, for the clubs for, for a long time. I'm talking about Sir Alex Ferguson managing this club for 25 years, Asen Wenger managing Arsenal for 22 years. And, you know, when you have such um, uh, an aura um, of control, um, when you develop this aura uh, where you are untouchable and you control every single aspect of the club, it's very difficult to instill a different culture, a, a different um culture change when another manager comes in. Hence why probably, first of all, David Moyes didn't, didn't work out, Luis Van Gaal didn't work out, um, Mourinho didn't work out, and eventually they had to bring Ole on an interim basis to try and bring you back to the old Man United way of, you know, how of that fluid counter-attacking play. And to some extent, 
it it was you know it kind of stabled the ship because let's face it he made you a Champions League club he made you a top four club uh, but was he really going to push you into into this situation where you can actually compete with Chelsea Manchester City and Liverpool and let me start by talking about those three clubs um, those three clubs are modernly ran clubs um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that if you do well on the off the pitch you'll also do well on the pitch like for instance look at Chelsea um, look at the academy, for example, um, you know, last night's vic- last night's victory of uh, Juventus was total Cobham domination um, with the the amount of academy products that actually dominated that game. Um, they are when Abramovich took over that club in two thousand three. The first thing he did was to kind of like update um, their their training facilities. He ensured he got the best people behind the scenes to run the club. People like Peter Kenyon, who was actually Manchester United CEO before David Gill took over, and then went to Chelsea, and then afterwards was succeeded by Marina Granovskaya. You know, um, appointing you know people who who are excellent at at judging player ability and potential. Um, appointing uh, um, managers like Jose Mourinho, who got them to win things and made them a team uh, that belonged among the Abaikelons and. You know the fact that they were spending on the right people, not not just uh, on on a player because he's marketable and he's a big name, but on a player to suit a, a specific manager's system. And we laugh at them saying that you know um, their money came and spoiled the the uh, football because before he came in with his money, before City came in with their money, uh, Manchester United and Arsenal were the only teams dominating, and right now we are behind the patch. But if you look at how those clubs have are being ran off the pitch. Um, it's laid solid foundations for one big success. And that's probably what even Liverpool did. Liverpool don't have sugar daddy money, but Jagen Klopp and Michael Edwards laid solid foundations off the pitch, made smart decisions in, in recruiting the right players for specific for the specific game pressing system and all that, players with the right attitude of the right age profile. And right now, uh, you know, one of the best clubs in, in the world, you know. Um, we all predicted at the start of the season that Chelsea, City and Liverpool, and, and Liverpool will finish in top three in no particular order because those clubs are more than Iran clubs. For we, for our clubs, especially for Man United, I think the Glazers tend to put um, commercial interest first, but choose to ignore the football inside of things. Um, I was writing somewhere down and said that the Glazers tend to confront by signing big name players to appease you fans. I don't know if you agree with what I'm saying. Like, Paul well, Pogba is available for 90 million, so let's bring him to the club. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Jadon Sancho is the most sought after prospect in Europe, so let's bring him to the club because he's marketable. Um, Donny van der Beek is doing wonders at, at, at Ajax, you know? He's even, he even finished in top 20 in the Ballon d'Or rankings, if I'm not wrong, in 2019, when Ajax did so well and reached the semi-final of the Champions League. So let's bring him in. Um, we can't afford to see Ronaldo move to Manchester City, so let's bring him in, um, even though it means it's going to uh, imbalance, our, imbalance our starting lineup because he can't hold the ball up, and other than just being a clinical finisher, doesn't bring much more to the team. Even though I'm a, I'm a massive Ronaldo fan, we have to admit he doesn't bring a lot more to the team, and that's why the media have been criticizing his off-the-ball work, you know, giving the likes of Bruno too much work to do. And I think that kind of like played a part in in confusing Ole because he didn't know how to fit all these players in together. So it's a situation where because you have a lot of stars in your dressing room, and of course not all of them will play regularly, you know, you you make them unhappy. You know, someone like Sancho must have been thinking to himself, 
what the hell have I done? I left Dortmund, I was flying, and right now I'm coming to Man United and I'm actually home in the bench. Same case for Donny van de Beek. And, you know, I think that kind of like played a part in creating divisions in the dressing room. And that's why they lost faith in this manager. And that's where it comes back to the point that you are making where this manager doesn't give deserving players opportunities. Like now, for example, if you ask me, I don't know what Alex Telles did to him. I don't know what Alex Telles um, had to do to get games under him anymore. Um, you know, Harry Maguire clearly short of confidence. And I think the pressure of being captain was was overburdening him. And these are players who actually did well at the Euros. Five months ago, we were actually, you guys were actually calling Luke Shaw the best left back in the world. And right now, right now you, you, you know, he's the last person you want to see in the starting lineup. So I think the, all these issues have kind of like piled on each other. And that's why even after letting the manager go, there's still problems to be solved. And that's why I'm thinking um, whoever manager takes the job has to be a manager who will be trusted um, to spend money on a spine, on a spine of good players, a spine, not, not buying a player to, to appease the fan base or something. And that's why I feel, um, even though Ed Woodward is, is stepping down as CEO, but for some reason is still having a, a mysterious job, we don't know what the title is, I don't think he should be allowed to call the shots at that club. I don't know if you agree with me, but that's from uh, a personal point of view. I don't think he should be allowed to 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 run any footballing decisions. I genuinely believe you need a person upstairs who knows a thing or two about the game. Someone who um, can can work hand in hand with the manager and kind of like bring the right players for a specific system and a specific philosophy. Maybe if it's Pochettino, we know how Pochettino wants to play. He needs certain players. You can't just bring to him, let's say hypothetically, a Ronaldo, and he won't press relentlessly from the front or have the ball played into feet and, and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you agree with what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, so, um, in so what I'd like to ask you is, who would you like to see coming in on an interim basis, or and who would you like to see taking charge of the club? And what changes do you feel should be made um, if you guys are to go back to the upper echelons that we know you are capable of becoming? Okay, so um, as I told you, like this season is kind of a write-off for me. Um, as in, I don't see how. How we can solve it unless we we get a really good manager and have a run in the Champions League. But like honestly, at an ideal level, I would really like to see um the return of management United as a permanent manager, not an interim. I wouldn't want an interim because the thing is our team, our board, the the people upstairs. The moment you win five games, they give you a three-year contract. And I know that he's a good enough manager to win, especially with the run we have, I think, from mid-December, when our, I think after Arsenal, after Palace, our games get really good. But I think if he gets an interview and he has the bounce and he wins maybe five or six games in a row, he'll be given a contract where he's not good enough to actually be a permanent manager of Man United. So ideally, I think I would like Ten Hag to come in, but obviously that's very unlikely. So I would rather honestly continue with Karik until the end of the season because the thing with Karik is he's coaching but doesn't allow him to take a permanent manager position. So there it will be out of their hands and they will be unable to um, promote him permanently no matter how well he does. So I think I would just stick with him until the end of the season and then we get one of the two at the end. Uh, I think it's a, it's a situation where um, you know, Manchester United is actually a floated, a floated company. 
uh, floated company on the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, it's a situation where if, if the club isn't performing on the pitch, it means that, you know, generally the image of the club isn't right. And that's why people really want to buy shares or invest into the company. And to them, if it's not working, they have no choice but to sack the manager. So for them, it's a situation where as long as the club is, is, is getting top four consistently and getting European football, you know, um, it doesn't really matter if they challenge for the league or not. And that's the problem I have with the Blazers, the same thing I have with the Cronkers. And again, like, that's why I was asking you, do you trust this board to actually make the right decision with regards to the manager? Because um, they clearly wouldn't want a manager who wouldn't be afraid, you know, to 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 face them head on if they don't agree on stuff. And that's probably why they decided not to go with Conte because they know Conte is a viral figure, is a viral figure, a volatile figure who can easily, you know, um, fall out with the board, just like Jose Mourinho, you know. Um, they prefer yes men for the job. I don't know if you, if you get what I'm saying. And probably that's why they yeah. went with Ole because Ole is just a puppet. You know what I'm saying? You know, Ole, Ole is, how do I put it? Ole is a nice guy. He's, by nature, he's a nice guy. Even if you look at him, he's a nice guy. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful human being. He's a genuinely good human being. But a bad manager. You know what I'm saying? There is a big difference yeah. between between both. He's a good man and a nice guy, but a bad manager, a terrible manager. Like you were saying, um, the situation with his man management of certain players and stuff, the fact that he was willing to be a puppet, you know, that the Blazers and a Woodward will use, you know, to suit their own narratives, you know. So, um, in my opinion, I, I feel what you first need to do is bring in a director of football to the club, someone who Someone or someone who has who is a footballing man, like let's say David Gill back in the day or Peter Kenyon back in the day. And by whatever means necessary, don't let Ed Woodward take all the shots at that club again. Because I, I really feel that is where the biggest that is the biggest underlying issue with that club. Because even if you bring a Ten Hag or you bring in a Zidane or you bring in a uh a Pochettino, whoever, whoever you want to bring in, if you're not going to back him by giving him what he wants and players who specifically suit his philosophy, you're wasting their time. You, you know what I'm saying? And and back to the point you are making about what wanting Ten Hag, I think I agree with you 100% because, you know, Ten Hag is the type of manager who wants to win now, but he clearly has a philosophy, uh, a, a vision, let's say, where, like, you see what Ajax do, where um, the, the youth teams play in as much the same way as the senior team, so that the pathway to the first team is streamlined because... The philosophy that is driving them as a club means it's easier to integrate players into the from the youth setup into the starting lineup, and they 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 spend shrewdly. But as long as players are buying into his philosophy and they're winning stuff, there is a solid foundation to keep, let's say, his club competitive. And that's the model Barcelona used to have under Cruyff, and then Pep uh, Guardiola revived it much later. You get what I'm saying? So, um, or even Pochettino, who, in my opinion, um. I think Pochettino should have taken the, the Man United job three years ago, if, if I'm being honest with you, because he's a manager who um, who can make the most out of specific players as long as they buy into their system and, you know, has a clear way of playing. If if you want to win now, if you want short-term success, go for someone like Zidane, because Zidane is the perfect manager at, you know, man-managing egos because he has that aura given as a big player and he's proven it and he focuses on what I call... Um, He's subtle. He's subtle in from the point of view of he focuses on the strengths of players and then uses their varying strengths to set up a system that brings you results. And the Manchester United dressing room right now is so full of egos. Um, you know, 
Cristiano Ronaldo is an ego. Pogba uh, is an ego. Is a massive ego. Bruno is obviously a massive ego. You know, a lot of people, Varane, the Varans, the how do I say it? The people like um, maybe even Sancho, maybe even Rashford. All these are, are massive, massive egos, and um, that's where I feel like he'd do a job. But if you want short-term success, I actually agree with you when you say you should go for Ten Hag. But last question before we move on: Do you trust your board to kind of make these decisions? No, I do not. Not at all. Zero percent trust. Yeah, definitely. And um, let's hope that you know things will start getting plain sailing for you guys again. So let's move on to another game that we watched this weekend. Uh, that was Liverpool playing against Arsenal. Um, you know there was a, a wave of optimism around spreading around Arsenal fans, um, given the run and the momentum they picked since the Norwich game. Um, you know that's after the laughable first three games of the season. Um, where, you know, their squad had been decimated by injuries um, and COVID and people were calling for, you know, the manager's head. Um, I personally still don't think he's the right man for the job. I've never actually endorsed him ever. Uh, but they went to Anfield uh, for the first, like, 20 minutes. They actually kind of contained them. Um, you know, then Mikel Arteta tried to have a go at Klopp. And then, you know, the atmosphere at Anfield really, you know, um, got ignited. And then after that, we... You know, they went ahead from a set with Rumane. And in the second half, they tried to play out from the back all the time. And it, you know, it was to their detriment because Liverpool constantly pressed on the press, worked harder and were clinical. And the game ended 4 0. And it weren't for Ramsdale, the score could have been much worse. So um, I'd like you to give me your opinions on the whole situation. And if you feel Arsenal can really challenge for top four, or if that was just a fallacy. And if Mikel Ateta is actually not the right man for the job, because I don't feel like he is. I don't, I've never thought that he is. Okay, so personally, ever since there's there's a Lampard only attempted debate, I just need to say that all of them are poor, none of them are like it's compared in class and class, it doesn't make sense. So um I honestly don't think that I think this was a very hard reality check because as good as Arsenal have been playing, um you really have to look at the quality of opposition. And I I think that like when I recall when they faced like a half decent side, um, I think it was Brighton, and it was there was no competition in my opinion. Like Brighton dominated the game, they deserved to win, but Arsenal are lucky lucky to come away with a nil nil draw. So I I saw this result coming, although I didn't I didn't think it would be four nil to be honest, because I think White and Gabriel and also Ranville of course have been actually have been solid. I didn't expect it to be four nil, but to be fair, most of the goals were just out of silly mistakes and trying to play from the back when clearly the press is too much and you're away from home. So um I think Arsenal as far as the top is concerned, you know the thing with the season you never really know. Because sometimes a team can be looking like uh, we've seen it in the last a lot of times. A team can be looking really good for some time and then towards the latter uh, part of the season they just fall apart. So if that can happen to West Ham or Brighton maybe whatever team is in the mix. Maybe Spurs might come up given the new managerial situation. But I think a challenge is plausible, but I don't think eventually you can make it because the shortcomings of your manager, I, I think they can't be, they're not, like he, he's not good enough to beat maybe Moyes, Porter, and Contech for four. So I think that's what I would say. But for the game itself, I don't think it was a 4-0 game. I think had you 
dependent data and need better traces. Perhaps it could have been one or two new, but only was a very flat and score. I can't tell you, no, no, I think it was not a bad idea. So I think that's all I have to say on the game, but yeah. Agree with what you're saying. Um, like what frustrates me about uh, Mikel Ateta is his in-game management. Um, there are things that he can make that make me ask myself, what the hell are you doing? Like, for example, I remember there was this game against Spurs. You know, we were training up by half time, and then the second half, we decided to make ourselves difficult to beat. Then they tried to come at us. Then, um, you know, Granit Xhaka um, was asking to be subbed off, but Ateta kept him on. And then Lucas Moura challenged him and he aggravated the injury further. Um, against Brighton, you know, we were constantly on the back foot. That team, in fact, we were lucky to get away with a draw. I felt like, you know, we robbed Brighton uh, because they they pressed relentlessly from the front all the time. Um, you know, but, you know, it's a common game with Brighton where they, they've been very good at creating chances, but not good at converting them. That has been a, been a big problem. Um, there was this running joke about XG. Um, you know, I've looked at our att attacking stats and, you know, to be honest, I've been underwhelmed because we are 19 in the league for big chances created. We are 12th in the league for expected goals. We are 14 for goals scored. They were not wrong. Um, you know, we are, we are living parallelly close to replicating the 92-93 season where we only scored 38 league goals all season. And despite winning an FA Cup and a Kaling Cup, um, you know, that wasn't good enough by Arsenal standards because Arsenal, especially under Wenger, have been known to be this team that attacks from the front. Yes, we've made ourselves difficult to beat. Yes, we've made ourselves difficult to beat. Um, and it's improved our defense. But, you know, it's, you know, there is, there is a balance that lacks um, to some extent. And, you know, people talk about this uh, Ajeta being uh, a manager that was appointed simply because he was appointed simply because, you know, um, So, like I was saying, um, you know, David, I, I feel like, you know, people talk about Ateta being this manager that was supposed to be Pep 2.0 because he sat in the dugout next to him for three years. So there was this expectation that he'd bring Pep football to Arsenal. But then I remember to myself, he also worked on Ateta and now Benga. Yes, Benga was an expansive manager, but he actually played his best football at Everton under David Moyes. And David Moyes at Everton and at Man United the nine months he was there was this manager who, you know, he set up his teams to be very athletic, good on, good off the ball, um, you know, focusing on defense first, you know, uh, playing, um, depending on the, playing to nullify the strength of the opposition. And to some extent, it means it's negative football. You're solely defensively, but your attack is a disgrace to football or even to humanity. But then he went to West Ham and learned from his own bad, old bad ways. And right now he's playing to his player strengths and that's why they're doing so well. Um, he knows full well, that you know, uh, Creswell and Sufal are uh attacking fullbacks who like to get to the byline and deliver crosses. He knows that Antonio can run those channels. He has players like Fonals, you know, uh, a plethora uh, of, of creative players like Fonals and Lanzini who you know can you know create something out of nothing. You know, he has this double pivot, brilliant double pivot of Declan Rice, who I feel Man United should sign by the way. And you know, Sushek, who will occasionally get you eight to ten goals as a box to box player. You know, Declan Rice is the player who wins the ball but gives that simple but very effective pass forward. You know, he plays to his player's strengths and he's learned from his bad old ways of Everton and Man United, you know. And Ateta is setting us to be difficult to beat, but our attack is diminished. You, you know what I'm saying? And that's why I feel 
if you want to be in the top four, you have to be a team that can can score at least 80 at the very least goals a season. And the way things are going, we are supposed to 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 finish um with the worst run of we've we've ever produced in, in front of goal. Um that was that he had goals in 93-94. So um like I said, I don't feel like Ateta is the right manager for the job, and his fixtures are going to start becoming really, really, really horrible because I feel like we play you guys on the second. Is it on the 29th or, or the second of December? Somewhere in there, somewhere in between there, we play you guys, and I know you guys will be having a managerial bounce by then. And we have, you know, uh, games like Everton, games like you know, we have, we are, we are, we are starting to have a, a run of kind of like tricky fixtures. So maybe we'll we're going to start reverting back to our old bad ways of losing games before becoming the laugh of 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 everyone in town. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. So um, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think he's the right man for the job. And given how competitive the league has become this season, um, and given the fact that I know this board are going to stick by him unless we go through a really really bad spell, um, you know, he better keep this run of 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 of, of form going for his own sake and for the club's sake because. I cannot not deal with another season of being everyone's laughing stock. And yeah, that's how I feel on the game. As for Liverpool, I feel like Liverpool are being underrated um, in comparison to two seasons ago. Yes, they're still a strong side, but people are, uh, are rating Chelsea and City more than they rate Liverpool. And I feel it's wrong to underrate Liverpool because they are, as long as they can keep their best players fit, which was a big issue last season, um, I feel like they can actually challenge for the title. And, you know, they have arguably the best finishing in world football right now in Salah, who ripped you guys to shreds around three, four weeks ago. Um, you know, they have, you know, we we know how brilliant they are. And I feel like people are underrating them. They can finish even higher than that. I think I tipped them to finish fourth this season. I actually tipped you guys to finish third this season, but I feel they can finish higher than the four they predicted them to finish. Uh, because I personally thought you guys were were going to be really strong. Turns out, turns out. But you know, football can change in a matter of like two or three weeks. You know, you might still end up in top four. You never know. So, uh, and it's still relatively early in the season. Um, and before we wind up this podcast, I feel like I'd like us to talk about West Ham uh, because West Ham have been really brilliant this season. Um, or rather, since David Moyes took place, took charge. Uh, I know, I know that you know he wasn't West Ham fans' cup of tea when. He took charge for the second time, uh, given the first time he was in charge. You know, he kept them up, but he didn't really excite people with his pride of football. But over the 22 months he's been in charge, West Ham have gone from strength to strength. Everyone tipped them to battle relegation last season. They ended up finishing in top six. This season, they are genuine challengers for the top four. They maybe even might take getting to the top four, or they might burn out like Leicester uh, are known to. So I'd like you to... To tell me what you think about them generally. Um, West Ham, as you know, I'm really, really impressed with them, and I'm actually happy with with what Moyes has done. Because what Moyes what Moyes went through over the course of his career was not a good experience. To be in the form of your life and then tipped by the best manager ever to manage the biggest club at the time in the world, or in England at least, it was not a very good transition for him. So to see him get back on his feet at a, a I would say mid to big size club, because West Ham is quite a historic club, yeah. it's actually really good to see. And the way he, he's incorporated um, players like Bowen, yeah. even in the defense, players like Dawson, mm-hmm. um, or Bonner before his injury, um, people like 
Zuma, yeah. even had the fullbacks played um, amazing football, particularly yeah. Aaron Cresswell. Yeah. And of course, you talked about the pivot of Rice and Suchet. Yeah. Like, that's, the, that's something I really envy. Yeah. I feel like if Manu had that pivot, he would be really far ahead. But yeah, I think he, he's doing well. I don't know how they did in their game with Ukraine against Wolves. I, I didn't actually watch it. Yeah. They, so they, they lost to a nil. They lost to a nil. They lost to a nil to Wolves. But it's a situation okay. where they were the better side. Okay, yeah, that happens. I can't speak to that game, but that game is not really a reflection of their season thus far. You can yeah. see that from the table, of course. Mm-hmm. Although they really need to wake Antonio up because he's not been, been involved for some time. Mm-hmm. As as much as he bullied the Liverpool centre backs about two weeks ago, yeah. he's not <laughs> he's not getting tangible results really. So yeah. I feel like if they can wake him up, they can really really do something this season. I think yeah. I think Toko would be a bit of a threat. Considering quality has come back into the mix, but I think we can really be in and around Yeah, definitely. Like I was telling you, like Moez is playing to their strengths a lot. And when you actually look at those players, you know those players are naturally wired to be attacking, to be attack-minded players, like I was telling you. Um, he knows Bowen is an inverted winger who likes to cut inside using his left foot and try and score goals, you know, or be a creative threat. I mentioned for Nals, who has incredible work rate. Alongside Lanzini off the bench, you know, that pivot that you mentioned, uh, Sushek can score goals anytime. Rice um, gives that simple but, but effective pass when he wins the ball. Um, you know, uh, players like Sufal, Sufal, even Johnson from, from the academy is doing really well. Cresswell, you know, uh, Dawson, Zuma, you know, all those type of, you know, players, you know, he's playing to their strength and it's getting them results. They even have a top quality backup keeper to Fabianski in Alfonso Ariola. That means if anything happens to Fabianski, they have someone who's ready to step in um, and, you know, deputize effectively. He even saved penalties against, against City in the Carabao Cup, and he was immense against you guys in the Carabao Cup as you got knocked out. So, um, yeah, like, like you're saying, I agree with what you're saying. Um, they've, you know, he's playing to their strengths, but I feel they still need to add a strike at their ranks because, you know, if anything happens to Antonio, who has, you know, um, yes, he 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 brings others into play and he runs those channels, he plays his back to goal, he's physical. But you know, the goals are kind of dried up, so he kind of needs competition. Um, he needs competition, and at the same time, he needs they also need a reliable go to striker because let's face it, Antonio wasn't really a center forward, it's Moyes who converted him into becoming a full time center forward. He was a right winger, he even used to play as a wing back and uh Pellegrini, I think it was, he used to play as a right wing back, right now he's a center forward. So yeah, I agree with, with what you're actually saying about that club. Uh, but, um, you know, I feel like, you know, as long as they keep their best players fit, maybe um, the Europa League, latter, the latter stages of the Europa League will kind of like affect the season. But, you know, um, they're still in with a shout and let's not write them off. They finished in sixth place above teams like Tottenham and Arsenal last season. So, you know, they are where they are on merit, I feel. And um, I don't know if you have anything else to say, like something you'd like to tell the audience before we wind up today's episode. Um, actually, I, I don't really have much to say. I think I've exhausted my my grievances. But yeah, we just hope for a more exciting season, especially as it approaches its busiest time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, all I'd like to say to you know the listeners is. Kindly, you can um, share um, this episode with your friends, um, everyone else. Um, you can also check the links in our dis- in the description. Um, some snippets of this 
podcast appear on a YouTube channel called The Castle Maniac, so you can actually access more content from there. And generally, you can have a look at all the links in the description to see what we offer. Uh, and once again, it's been a pleasure hosting you, Karen. And I hope um, you're not going to to disappear um, for quite some while again. Um, you know, you're always welcome back on, on this platform uh, because um, we really, I personally enjoy your opinion on, you know, certain things about this game that we love. And that kind of winds up this episode. And until next time, guys, um, I've been your host, Mark. Thank you. Thank you.